There's a scarlet thread that runs through scripture, a thread of redemption and of hope. From the dawn of creation to the return of Jesus, the story of the saving God unfolds. Let us follow this thread, allowing the truth of God's grace, God's mercy, God's promise of rescue to sew our broken souls into the fabric of his promises. Let us wonder at his encounters, marvel at his majestic power, and be overwhelmed by his attention to detail. Mostly, let us be captivated by his relentless passion to redeem the rebel race and reclaim us into his family. God created man in his image, and man fell into sin. The curse was spoken, and all mankind was then fallen, and he could not get up. But God, the most profound statement one can utter, but God stepped into our fallen state and promised a rescue. The covenant maker gave us an eternal promise that he would come for us. In the garden, the curse was spoken that he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. But in the curse was the promise, come and see the promises of God. There are some things that are just burned in my conscience, burned in my memory. Uh, those significant markers that happened in my life that I will never forget. One of those markers of the many is the first time I gazed into the empty tomb in, in Israel, in Jerusalem, in what's called um, Gordon's Calvary. As I stared in that tomb, I was stood there with just a broken heart. It was 1999, and I just lost a dear friend of mine to death, and I'd gone to to Israel looking for answers. My skeptical heart was really flooded with the overwhelming history of the fact that there it is, the tomb of Christ that is indeed empty, never occupied only briefly by the Lord of life. I came looking for the promise of God and I found it in the historicity of an empty tomb. I stood there and I gazed and I realized the resurrection is true. The historical evidence the power of the risen Lord. I longed to peer into the darkness to discover my, for myself the reality of Easter, and I'd found it. I'd come looking for the living Lord, and I found him, King Jesus. You see, all of history hangs on the empty tomb of Christ. The most accurately documented event in all of ancient history is the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. More documented, more so documented than all the rulers of the Caesars, of the pharaohs, all the writers of antiquity. The life of Christ is the most accurately documented. The resurrection of Christ, the most accurately documented. Jesus changed history. He changed history for mankind. He changed history for me. So as we look into the empty tomb, listen to what Paul said. If Christ were not raised, Paul said this, for if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. And we apostles would be lying about God. For we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. If Christ has not been risen, then your faith is useless and you're still guilty of your sins. Wow. The tomb that's empty really does matter that my life is changed because of the resurrection. Christ is raised, the promises of God are true. I came that 
November day in 1999, looking for truth, and I found it. So I'll invite you to come with me today on this Easter day and gaze into the tomb, not the tomb of history, but the tomb of our own hearts and find that tomb is empty and Christ is risen. Come with me and let's look for the Lord of life, the Lord of faith, the Lord of hope. On this Easter Sunday, let's be captivated by the fact that what was promised in the Garden of Eden came true in the Garden of Resurrection. That promise that was made to Adam and the woman, and he will bruise your head and you will bruise his heel. The one who is greater than I has come to rescue me and come to rescue you. So let's gather with me at the tomb. Let's peer inside and find him living, living in you, living in me. And in finding him, let's embrace his promises, the promise of King Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for what you're going to say to us, say to us on this Easter, this Easter celebration. Thank you that you are true and you are truly the Lord of life. And I pray, Father, as I speak, that I not be my words or thoughts, but Father, your truth that leads us to understand who you are on this day of days. And Father, even in the awkward state of online gatherings, that you were present where two or three are gathered, you were there. And Father, thank you for the gift of technology that we could celebrate together, even distantly, we could celebrate globally. And I pray, Father, you'll fill the hearts and homes of all who listen today with the reality of your resurrection, that we sing and we celebrate and we declare Christ the Lord is risen today. And in that resurrection, we'll find our own resurrection to life and life more abundant. And I pray all of this in your son's strong name. Amen. Mark in his gospel, he said it this way. Let me read Mark 16, five through seven. And when they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in white robes sitting on the right side. The women were shocked and the angel said, don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He isn't here. He's risen from the dead. Look and see where his body, lay. they laid his body. And now go and tell his disciples. You see, the promise of King Jesus was the culmination of the covenants. The covenant made to, to Adam in the garden of sin. God said, I'm going to rescue you, and he did. The covenant he made to Noah, even though humanity was depraved and I destroyed them all but you, I will come again and promise you, and I will redeem you, and he did. The promise he made to Abraham, even though you're barren and old, I will make you a father of a great nation, and through you the nations of the world will be blessed, and he did. The covenant promise he made to Moses at Sinai, I will make you a nation of priests. You will stand before the nations of the world and represent me to them so they may know me and I could change all of their lives. And the Mosaic covenant was true and fulfilled. And then the promise he made to King David that I will sit on your throne, a redeemer, a king of kings, a Lord of lords, and your reign shall increase from generation to generation, not in the Davidic dynasty, but the dynasty of King Jesus, and he did. And now we come to the new covenant. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took a cup and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. The old covenant was symbolized by the blood of goats, rams, and bulls. The new covenant sealed by the precious sacrificial blood of Christ Jesus, who then shed his blood on that cross and then broke loose from that grave to save you and me on that resurrection Easter, on that day we celebrate in this Easter season.
It's amazing. I heard one preacher said this, that the cross could not hold him, the grave could not contain him, and the heavens declare his glory. I believe that is King Jesus today. Now looking at this this covenant promise, what is he saying to us today? What is the promises of God bring to us today? So let me lay some things out for you that this new promise, this new covenant brings for you today. Here's the first thing I want you to know is that you could be made right with God. That's probably the greatest promise that I could ever receive, that God, I could be right with him. I don't have to be separated from him by my sin and my depravity, my disobedience, that God welcomes me into his family because of what he's done for me on the cross and through the grave, how God can redeem me. This is what Paul said to the church in Corinth, for God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so we could be made right with God through Christ. Forgiven. Forgiven for the things I've done, the things I'm going to do, living in complete forgiveness. Do you know how sweet that is to be forgiven? To have an opportunity to make things right, to have your slate cleaned. I know if you're married, you probably had the opportunity to be forgiven. You probably had the opportunity to forgive. You know, and human forgiveness releases us from the bitterness that unforgiven brings. But I know this, to be the recipient of being forgiven is to be welcomed back in to fellowship. And there's repentance that comes with understanding and the metanome, the changing of my mind through faith that leads me to be forgiven by God. See, God is not waiting for me to get right. God is moving to make me right. God doesn't love some future form of me that is living in total obedience. He loves me and he forgives me right now in the present, no matter what I've done, where I've gone, what I've become. God says, I love you. The empty tomb says you can be forgiven. The covenant promise of Christ is this. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for my soul. Take my yoke upon me, upon you, for you'll find that I'm meek and humble and lowly in spirit. The rest of the promise of God found in forgiveness. And I could become a child of God, not some kind of alien or servant that slips around the corner, but literally be welcomed in by the adoption of the saints. I love what Paul said to the church in Rome. He's writing to a, a group of people that understood adoption because most people in Rome were not citizens of Rome, but slaves of Romans. And and the slave owners had an opportunity to, uh, to adopt their slaves. And when they would adopt their slaves, they would bring them into their family. And everything about their past was obliterated. And everything about their future was solidified because they brought them in into full adoption. You could adopt a fully grown man or woman in Roman culture. And when Paul wrote that we could become sons of God, that we do not cry out master, but we cry out father. We cry out father, daddy, God, that the new covenant gives me the opportunity to be called the son of God. I love that. I can be called a lot of things, but the beloved of God and the son of God is the most precious thing I could be called. That is the promise of God in the new covenant. I could be held by God based on his promises and his faithfulness, not on my behavior. (laughs) So many times that I do things wrong and I say things wrong and, and I've fallen short of God's glorious standards, but God's saying this to me, you know, you might be a, a heathen, but I've made you my son. You may, you may have strayed away, but I have brought you back. 
You may have said things and done things and become things that are embarrassment to me, but I am the redeemer and I'll bring you back because it's based on my promise. I was reading earlier this week, reading about the, the Holy Week of Jesus. And he said this, and he said, this is so profound. He said, I know the ones the father has given to me and no one can snatch them out of my hand. No one. I can't even snatch myself out of God's hand because of the promises of God. Listen to what Pastor John said. We know that God's children do not make a practice of sinning for God's son holds them securely. And the evil, that evil one, he cannot touch them. Wow. And to quote the, quote the great theologian M.C. Hammer, you can't touch this because when God holds you in security, you can't touch this. I, I realize this as a father and a husband, the greatest gift I could give my precious wife and my children and my grandchildren, and even to you, my friends, is that of security. The things that I say and I display by what I do because my obedience to the security of God is a result of my faith in God, that he holds me with his promises and I can be a man of security, giving security because I'm held by the God of security who gives me security. He will never leave me nor forsake me. He will never let me stumble or falter. And if I do, he will hold me up with his righteous right hand. That's the promise of God, the promise of being made right. But the second part of the covenant is this, that because of Christ is raised, I could be made into a new person. I don't have to deal with the old me. I could live in the new me. Listen to what Ezekiel says. And I will give you a new heart and I'll put a new spirit in you. And I will take you out of your stony and I'll take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender and responsive heart. And I'll put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and carefully obey my regulations. Now, God is saying this to the prophet Ezekiel, this before the resurrection, because God even then was promising a renewed heart for us. I love the fact that we can be wooed by God and drawn into the sense of need and the sense of regeneration that I come to the recognition that my old life is not going to work. I need a new life. I don't need a new leaf. I need a new life. I don't need a new resolution. I need a new revelation. I don't need to be made, be made perfect by my behavior. I need to be made perfect by my Savior. And God does these things for me through the new covenant that I could be a new person. And I, I know this, greatest is faithfulness is new every morning, that every morning I wake up with the ability and the knowledge that I'm not who I once was. I'm who God is making me to be. That he has foreknown me and loved me and conformed me into the image of Christ. Be it my prayer that every day I live, I become more like Jesus because everything we do and everything we are is to become like Christ. And this is the promise of God that he who began the good work in me is faithful to complete it on the day of Christ Jesus. I could be a new person and I could have power to live out this new life and in new relationships. And these new relationships, here's the things that I could do. I could be quick to recognize my sin and quick to repent of my sin. You know, one of the great signs of spiritual maturity is the ability to recognize when you're doing wrong, to recognize that when I've fallen off and gone astray, to recognize that the fact that I need a savior 
And the quickness of understanding sin and the repentance of sin is a sign that God is working in my heart. But here's another thing that I need so much. Not only am I quick to understand and recognize my sinfulness, I'm quick to respond to forgiveness. That I can forgive quickly because I've been forgiven greatly. Because God's made me a new person, not a person that holds on to resentment and bitterness, but a person who lavishes forgiveness on those before they even ask because I've been greatly forgiven. Now, being a forgiver doesn't mean that I relish in the fact of abuse. No, sometimes forgiving, you have to distance so abuse cannot continue, but I can forgive because it releases me and I can forgive because I have been forgiven. And then I can live in freedom, freedom. When the son has set you free, you are truly free. Jesus said that. I love what Martin Luther King Jr. said in one of his great speeches, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. And the empty tomb proves to me that I can be free. I can be free from the valley of the shadow of death where I will fear no evil, for he is with me. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. I can be free knowing that surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I can be free that I'm no longer a slave to sin for I'm a child of God. I can be free in the knowledge of the new covenant that Christ has set me free. Wow. I'm no longer a, a slave to, to guilt and to shame. Y'all ever, you ever notice that sometimes Satan likes to remind you of your past, that you'll have a new life in Christ and you know you're living in that new life in Christ and but Satan will drag up something from the past that he'll remind you of your shortcomings. He'll remind you of your poor decision-making. He'll remind you of your depravity or your debauchery. You know, Satan loves to do that. But you know what Jesus says? I've forgotten about it. The Bible says, as far as the east is from the west, so the Lord has removed our sins from us. He has taken our sins and he's hidden them behind his back and he remembers them no more. If we confess our sins, he's faithful to just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, Pastor John writes in his epistle. And I'm amazed by that, that God can free me from living in shame and guilt. At Romans chapter seven, Paul goes on this kind of diatribe about how he struggles with his personal sin. And then he says, who will free me from this body of death? Who will free me from sin and guilt and shame? And how the law shows that I have fallen so far short of God's glorious standards. And he says, thanks be unto God, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Then he takes a deep breath and he says this in chapter eight, verse one. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What in the world is condemnation? That means there's no saying you're guilty. Why? Because a tomb is empty. That's why. Because in faith, I have trusted in this one who has crushed the head of Satan and sin and guilt and shame and set me free to live as a new person, free from guilt and shame and sin. I love that about my God. And, and when I'm free, when I'm free, I can live with purpose and intentionality. That I can be full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. That I can live out the connecting of God and 
with others and I could grow to be like Christ and I could serve God by serving others and I can contagiously share the love of God in word and deed. Yeah, I just said it, connect, grow, serve, and share. The building blocks of a life built by God. I can be that person because I'm free, not under condemnation, no longer a slave to sin. I am a child of God because of the covenant promise of Easter. And then when I trusted King Jesus, when I embraced the covenants of Christ, when I realized the power of the empty tomb and receive him into my savior, I can live forever. I can live forever. You see, death is defeated. We're in a time of the coronavirus and we keep hearing about death tolls rising and with every passing, as I prayed yesterday with a group of pastors from all over the world, actually, in a, in a simulcast of pastoral prayer for Easter, that I, I thought about the ones who were passing away. And I realized that because of Christ, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, grave, where's your sting? Paul says to the church in Corinth, they've been swallowed up in the resurrection of Christ that when I breathe my last here on earth, my next breath will be eternal air and eternally with the Lord. Death is defeated. But not only is death defeated, but I have power that I can live on. The power of God working in my life to giving me the will and the desire to do what obey, that what pleases him. And I can live on that power of God, the Holy Spirit power, the didymus power, the dynamite power of the Holy Spirit. I can live with people. <laughs> well, not right now. You have to be six foot apart. But I can live with people. I don't have to be socially isolated. I can be socially contagious with the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And my prayer is during this virus that the virus of the gospel was spread contagiously throughout the world because that is the promise of the new covenant. That I have a family now and I'll have a family forever. I have a purpose to live for that. I don't have to live to make money or to make my name or to make my place or to make a legacy or, or any of those things I can live for King Jesus. And that purpose, it strips away all the other purposes of my life that this life, only one I have to give, I can give to Christ and it lasts forever. That I have a place to live. You see, the tomb is empty and the promises of God are true. The head of the serpent is crushed. My dad served in World War II, and he was one of the, the first invaders, actually day two of landing on the beaches of Normandy, and he went through the atrocities of war. Dad said this, when you were at war, you didn't fight for your country, you fought for your brother who was on your left or your right. But dad had seen and had become and done things that broke his heart and shattered his life, that finally after the war, he was deployed back home to central Mississippi to a little neighborhood called House, actually outside of House in an area of Neshoba County that was called Bethsaida Community. My grandparents had moved there during the war. Dad didn't even know where his family was and his family didn't even know he was alive. Dad caught the bus in Meridian and made his way out Highway 19 to get off at Cliff Winston's store and then walk a two-mile path down a dirt road to the new family farm. As he walked down that road, he saw an old man in a cotton field. The old man was tall and skinny. His name was Henry Hoy Weatherford, my grandfather. 
Dad said as he walked that dusty road, he heard my grandfather singing this old spiritual song. I'm just a poor wayfaring stranger traveling through this world of woe. But there's no sickness, toil, nor danger in that bright land to which I go. I'm going there to see my mother. I'm going there no more to roam. I'm just a-going over Jordan. I'm just a-going over home. My dad hollered out, Dad, is that you? And my grandfather ran through that cotton field to hold his boy in his arm. He said, my boy, my boy, my boy, I thought you were dead, but you're alive. Because of the covenant promises of God, that old song may be on my lips one day with death's chilly tide comes rolling in on my life. But I'll hear my God say, my boy, my boy, you're coming home. You're coming home. That, beloved, is the promise of Easter. And that is the promise that I was looking for on that day in 1999, that we have a living, loving God. And what I've discovered is this, that I live my life, and so do you, between two Easter's. Two Easter's the Easter of history when Christ broke open that grave and the Easter of my resurrection into glory. And I want to live all for Jesus until that time and I pray you will do as, you'll do the same. For some of you, you need to trust this Christ, this Christ who shattered the pages of history, who did the unthinkable, the undoable, the unimaginable, the totally believable. He defeated death. You need to give your life to Christ. Some of you need to come back to Christ. During these days of confusion, days of fear, days of uncertainty, don't you want a certainty? Don't you want a rock to hold on to? Well, you might have walked away from Christ, but he has never walked away from you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And today, through this old preacher, God is saying to you, come home. Some of you are living all for Jesus. Why don't you be contagious and live with the love of God and because people come to Jesus best in the arm of a trusted friend? Why don't you be that person that lives all for Jesus and makes Jesus famous throughout the land? So come to Christ. Come back to Christ. Live all for Christ on this Easter, this day of days, this celebration of celebration because the head of the serpent has been crushed by the Lord of life, King Jesus, our promised Messiah.